0: Nichelle Nichols has the distinction of sharing the first kiss between a black and a white person on network television. Well, sort of. An extremely awkward kiss that Uhura and Captain Kirk were forced into by aliens using telekinesis, but a kiss of sorts. And like a lot of groundbreaking moments in her career, it really didn't occur to her at the time that she was making history. As a matter of fact, the kiss wouldn't have happened at all if not for the intervention of the world's preeminent voice on civil rights. I'm Dara Starr Tucker and this, is The Breakdown. Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek from 1966 to 1969, began her career as a singer and a dancer. She hailed from the suburb of Robbins, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, where her father was the mayor. Early in her career, she sang with Duke Ellington and Lionel Hampton's bands, and she eventually starred in several plays. Musical theater was in her blood, so when she accepted the role of Uhura on Star Trek, it was with the understanding that she would be limiting the range of what she was truly capable of. It was really just another job for her, at first, anyway. Trek began in 1966 at the height of the civil rights movement, just a year after the voting rights bill had been signed. Social mores were slowly beginning to shift, opening up a window for progressive writers like Gene Roddenberry to begin including black actors in their permanent casts. More and more frequently, they were able to tackle issues of race and prejudice with an extreme level of oversight from network overlords, of course, but the tide was quickly shifting. Now, despite the turbulent times, Nichelle Nichols said that she was treated well on set. None of the executives or her fellow castmates made her feel welcome, but she tells a different story when it came to the treatment she received on the Desilu lot where her show was filmed. She would regularly be harassed by a studio guard who wouldn't let her use the entrance that the other cast members used. She was often made to check in at the front desk as if she were a guest visiting the set. The security guard even lied to her at one point, telling her that she had been replaced by a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman. She also said the person hired to take publicity stills of the cast often cut her out of group shots intentionally. She continually endured microaggressions like this, but she didn't want to give those folks the satisfaction of thinking that they had rattled her, so she never complained to Gene Roddenberry or anybody else. But in fact, it was all taking a toll on her. That and the fact that she felt her character, Ahura didn't have enough to do, and she wasn't wrong. There were definitely conversations happening with network brass that giving her character too much airtime could upset viewers in the South. So for the first season, Ahura was mostly relegated to channeling hailing frequencies on the ship's bridge. She had also seen other cast members receive fan letters, but she hadn't received any of her own She couldn't understand why her character wasn't connecting with audiences. But she soon learned that the studio was inexplicably keeping fan mail from her. When she found out that there were actually tons of letters waiting for her in the mailroom that no one had bothered to tell her were there, It was the last straw. So when she received an offer to do a musical play that she was really excited about, she took it as an indication that it might be time to move on. She was really nervous about having to break this news to Gene Roddenberry, but she mustered up the courage and eventually told him that she would be seeking out greener pastures after the first season. Of course, he had no idea about the harassment that she had been enduring. He tried to tell her what a mistake he thought she was making. It's more than you think it is, he told her, but she didn't want to hear it. She finally laid her resignation letter on his desk and said her decision had been made. He told her to take the weekend to think about it and to come back on Monday morning and let him know what her final decision was. She walked out of his office assuming that she was on her way out, but fate had other plans. What she didn't know was that she would have an encounter that very weekend with what was likely the only person who could have convinced her to change her mind about leaving the show. Now, Nichelle had been invited to be the special guest at an NAACP fundraiser that Saturday evening. While she was seated at the desk before the event, one of the organizers came up to her and let her know that a huge fan of the Star Trek series really wanted to meet her. She got up expecting to have a cursory exchange with a Starstruck viewer and, well, I'll let her tell it. I turn and instead of fan, there's this face the world knows with this beautiful smile on it. And I remember thinking, whoever that fan is, is gonna to have to wait because Dr. King Dr. Martin Luther King, my leader, is walking toward me. He proceeds to tell her what an impact her character has had on him and his family and that it's the only show that his children are allowed to stay up past their bedtime and watch. She couldn't get out a single syllable. She was so taken aback. He continued to lavish praise on her and she finally thanked him and started to tell him how much she was going to miss her co-stars. With a great deal of consternation, he asked her what she meant. So she started explaining that she had an offer to do musical theater, that she was really excited. He didn't even let her finish the sentence. He told her that if she left, Roddenberry could theoretically replace her with anyone, another white actress, a man, or even an alien. He said the door would be closed after that, so she needed to remain in that role for all it was doing for the culture. She couldn't respond in that moment, but she knew what he was saying was true. She said the whole world tilted after that for her. Nothing was the same. She finally understood what Gene Roddenberry had been trying to tell her. It was bigger than just her. Other than the Beulah series in the early 1950s, no black woman had ever starred in a network show, certainly not in anything other than a servant role. She was effectively going where no black woman had gone before and it hadn't even occurred to her until that moment. She took Dr. King's words to heart and meditated on them that weekend. She was experiencing all sorts of emotions and struggled with her decision for the remainder of the weekend. She even experienced feelings of anger. Why me, she wondered. Why do I have to be the one to give up my dream for this? Why do I have to suffer this mistreatment and abuse by people who don't want me here? But she ultimately couldn't deny the fact that she just didn't see things the same way after that conversation with Dr. King. She really didn't know what she was gonna tell Gene Roddenberry on Monday morning. She walked into his office and told him exactly what had happened with Dr. King. Gene breathed a huge sigh of relief and said, finally, someone understands what I'm trying to do. God bless Dr. King. She told Jean, if you still want me to stay, I'll stay. I have to. Jean proceeded to open his desk drawer and pulled out her resignation letter, which he had torn into shreds, and he handed the pile back to her. She thanked him and he thanked her, and she walked out of his office and never looked back. She said she never had one regret about doing the show after that. She fully embraced the role and even worked with NASA in the 1970s to recruit women and people of color to their training program. She was influential in NASA recruiting their first female astronaut, Sally Ride, and was a huge inspiration to NASA's first black female astronaut, Mae Jemison. Now, as to that kiss, there are some that dispute its status as the first interracial kiss on network television. There were certainly interethnic kisses that had happened before that. There was Lucy and Desi in the 1950s, and even Star Trek depicted kiss between Mexican actor Ricardo Montalban and Madeleine Rue before the Kirk Ahura kiss. There had been kisses between white and Asian actors on The Wild Wild West, Adventures in Paradise, and I Spy, too. And Sammy Davis Jr. kissed Nancy Sinatra on the cheek in a special that she did in 1967. Was it the first romantic kiss between a black and a white person? Well, it was hardly romantic. Both parties were being coerced into it against their will. But it was significant in the fact that it happened one year after the Loving v. Virginia decision by the Supreme Court. Court that ruled that bans against interracial marriage violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. But its status as even being a kiss at all has been challenged by a very surprising source, William Shatner himself. See, when they were filming that episode, the network brass was present and started to get nervous that the scene might make the episode completely unairable in the South. They called Shatner and Nichols in for a meeting to try and discuss ways to alter the scene so it wouldn't cause a dust-up that would hurt their ratings. Shatner was incensed, as was Nichols. Gene Roddenberry eventually chimed in and said that he absolutely refused to let them alter the scene. Things were getting heated, so finally Jean suggested that they shoot the scene two ways. Unfortunately, what Jean meant by let's shoot it two ways was that we'd shoot the kirkuhura kiss twice. In the first take, we'd actually kiss on camera. In the second, Nichelle and I turned our bodies as we embraced so that my back was to the camera. We'd give the illusion of kissing without ever touching lips. Sadly, when push came to shove, the network got their way and the no-contact kiss made it to the airwaves. For that reason, the widely held assumption that Star Trek features the first interracial kiss in the history of television is absolutely untrue. If you happen across the episode, look closely and you'll see exactly what I mean. So the kiss that wasn't really wanted in the first place turned out to be a kiss that didn't actually happen on camera after all. But perception, as they say, is reality. And the reality for most viewers is that the kiss actually did happen. So the episode Plato's Stepchildren stands as a seminal moment in television history nonetheless. And what was the aftermath of that episode? Well, it didn't really ruffle many feathers as it turns out. They did receive a bit of pushback, mostly from Southern viewers, but they received more positive feedback about that episode than any episode before that. And the moment just sort of came and went it wasn't until much later that journalists and viewers and the actors themselves began to understand just how significant that moment was in television history. A moment that wouldn't have come if not for that fateful meeting between Nichelle Nichols and the man that she acknowledged as her leader. A man who had the vision and foresight to convey to her the importance of the work that she was engaged in, work that would allow his children to envision a future where they had an equal part to play in creating the kind of society that he could only dream of. I'll be performing live in New York on the 11th of September and in D.C. on the 15th of October. Visit the link in my bio or the caption for details.